And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. This time we are discussing the Bills' 27 to 17 victory. Over the Green Bay Packers, the Bills are now 6-1 on the season, still sitting atop the AFC standings. They are now winners of their last four. They successfully got out of the bye um, and got back with a win. And, uh, hey, not for nothing, got the final score right on, on my prediction, which will... Never happen again, but I have to I have to claim it where I can. All right. Uh, yeah. So it was uh, it was a, a game that certainly had some different elements to it than what we had grown accustomed to uh, with the majority of uh, the season that we've seen so far. So we'll get into all of it, how it translates to this upcoming week. And certainly how the Bills could move forward with the trade deadline very much in mind. So we'll get into all of that. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thanks, everyone, for joining me here on this post-game episode of the Buffalo Beat. And I think before we get into some of the trade deadline stuff, because there are, there are a few different elements to what unfolded at Highmark Stadium that makes me wonder what could help um, give them some more information on decisions that they make and everything like that. Basically, I went into this game really not thinking about the the game in itself, which is kind of weird to say because I think we all kind of knew that the Bills would probably win this game. A lot would have had to go wrong for them not to win this game. But mostly it was seeing like a, a dress rehearsal of what potential pitfalls that they could have down the stretch of the season and uh, and how they could help address that in the trade deadline. So that's that was kind of where my brain was heading into the game. But I think the unexpected portion of the game was the fact that it looked like it went from looking like every big point uh, victory game that they've had so far this season. Like, think back to Pittsburgh, Tennessee, even the Rams game in week one. Like Those games were never in doubt. And the Bills basically went coast to coast on those three victories. And it looked like that's how this one was setting up. But then something different happened in the second half. It They came back to earth a little bit. And I think above all else, that was kind of a reminder of that 
you know, it's it's not going to be a perfect year, even against teams that you should probably beat pretty handily, like the Packers, for instance. And I do think the Packers are just in a weird spot right now because they've had, you know, four straight losses, obviously not used to it with Aaron Rodgers at the helm. I think they still have the bones of a what could be a really good defense down the stretch. I have no idea what to do with their offense, especially at receiver, but they were a little banged up coming into the game. And without their best offensive lineman, without their best receiver. So they're, they were going through some stuff. I, I do think there was potential for them to turn around as, as the season wears on. But that said, what the Packers were coming into this game today on Sunday, well, I should say yesterday, seeing as how it's now 3.18 in the morning on Monday, but what the version of the Packers that they were coming into week eight is one that the Bills should have done away with pretty handily. And it seemed like it in, in the first stages. Like everything that they could have done in the first half, they basically did. Outside of the, the first drive where the, the offense sputtered a little bit, there was a pass breakup, there was a, an almost interception from Josh Allen. Like it's, it seemed like some of the pressure was from the Packers that they were good at getting on teams got there early, but then that all went away as soon as the second offensive series came around. The, I mean, the running game was on point right from the get go, and that helped the Bills open things up in the passing game. And they had that kind of back and forth element, which was a a major feature of their big time winning streak down the stretch of last season that uh, you know built them up toward the playoffs into becoming this offensive juggernaut that they were and basically an offensive juggernaut right till the bitter end of uh, of their playoff exit so that was all working Josh Allen play, made some absolutely remarkable throws and you know you think about the 53 yarder over the middle or the um the touchdown pass to to Stefan Diggs uh the 26 yarder right uh, as the second quarter opened up like those are those are just stupid throws that that uh you know Josh Allen is one of a handful that can do that type of stuff so it was all working the run blocking was working the pass blocking was was going well but once they got to halftime, it's something something all changed. And, you know, you want to give credit to the Packers to a certain degree, but I also think a lot of, uh, much of it was how the Bills just kind of allowed the game to lull them to sleep a little bit. And I look at Josh Allen as a perfect example of this. Like I just said, the first half, he was incredible. It, the, the way that I termed it in my post-game observations that'll be up at The Athletic on, on Monday morning is Josh Allen went from this curated version of himself that he has been crafting through individual game weeks and seasons over the last four years into what we see almost on a weekly basis. 
you know, there are some step backs every once in a while, but mostly it's what we saw in the first half. It's what we saw against Kansas City. It's what we saw, uh, you know, in plenty of games this season. And it went from that player, which was, you know, favorite to be the MVP and the quarterback of the Super Bowl favorite and the uh, the quarterback that, you know, many believe to be the best in the league right now. It went from that guy to a previous version of himself. It was almost as like, like, you know, something, let's say you you put in, you go through with an update on your phone and then you have this bug that, that just makes it shut down every once and you have to like, uh, manual restart it to to the point of you have to backdate it to where it has to be this previous version of the phone for it to work. That's kind of what it what it felt like with Josh Allen for a little bit, right? Because he was making some interesting decisions, not exactly uh not exactly risk averse, a lot more reckless throws than what we've seen from him. You know, he's gotten away with the throw the ball across the field type of pass before. But he's also learned that that is a recipe for disaster. And, and he's kind of gotten himself away from that. But it almost just seemed like he was so hellbent to put the game away in a single drive that it just, he was just making critical errors. And there were some good moments in the second half. Don't get me wrong. They He certainly helped put them in position to give that crushing touchdown to the Packers. But all in all, they only scored three points. And those three points came on their first offensive series. From there, it was just watching it kind of unravel. The running game was non-existent. For most of the second half, the, how how good it was in the early stages, nothing. I mean, they went from averaging, I think it was 8.4 yards a carry in, in the first half on design runs to running backs. And up until that, their, the Bills' final offensive series of the second half, like, they were averaging negative one yards per carry. It, it, worse than non-existent. Worse than zero. And it all just put a little bit more pressure on Josh. We saw him, like I said, kind of unravel a little bit. And that is something that he was really hard on himself at the end of the game. So if you're looking at it from, you know, a glass half full perspective, Josh is extremely good at finding where he screwed up in a given week, really crushing himself for it over the, the next couple of days and learning, trying to learn as much as he can from, from those decisions that he made and why he made those decisions and is very careful to not allow those problems to replicate in the short term and then eventually as they become habit, the long term. That's one of the, the biggest reasons, at least in my opinion, that he has been able to become the type of 
MVP level quarterback that we've seen because I've, I've never really seen anything like it before. And I've said it multiple times on this podcast. When you see him make a critical error one game, it's especially early in his, in his career. It was borderline ridiculous that he came back the following week a completely different dude and the and not allowing that critical error to be a component of his game. Like eventually these things are going to happen because it's it's deep down there somewhere. So it comes out every once and again like we saw today. But the way that he is able to constructively criticize himself, self-scout himself and learn from it and apply it instantly has been one of the the big reasons that he is who he is today. So glass half full approach, I think the fact that Josh Allen is is beating himself up over those errors in the second half is probably grounds for optimism that that this is not going to be a a problem that persists especially after, you know, last year when the Bills were on a high from beating the Chiefs that one week in Kansas City and then wind up going 3 and 5 over their next 8 games. That was that mid-season lull that they really had to kind of drag themselves out of with a pretty ridiculous winning stretch down uh down the end of the 2021 season to put them in a position to compete for a spot in the Super Bowl. He did a great job at turning it around, but it was it was in doubt as to whether or not they would be a legitimate contender last year. So now it's on them to try and avoid this mid-season lull because it happens. It happens to the very best of teams. You will come into a game not as sharp as you were for for some other games, and a team will catch you by surprise. It's inevitable in the NFL. The talent is too good throughout the league. So this game, from a from a macro perspective, gives them a great chance to reset and really sharpen themselves without having to suffer the true pain of going through a game that they should have won that they actually lost. Like one of their biggest lessons that they that they learned last year came down in Jacksonville and they didn't even get themselves out of it immediately after that. But they walked into Jacksonville thinking that they were just going to handle it and then and then they would be on their way after a win in in uh, Duval County. But that didn't happen last year. So now this is a chance for them to come away from this game in one that probably should have been a bigger victory than just 10 points. And of course, the, the 10 points are a little misleading because it's not, it didn't feel like a 10 point win. It felt like a bigger win than that based on the way that the two teams were playing and how the Packers just uh, climbed back into it, I guess, by the end of it. But it's a it's a good chance 
for the Bills and McDermott to use this as kind of a building block to figure out how to keep that edge all the way through games, how to finish games right away. And they haven't had a problem with it with, with other opponents, but there are different elements at play here. The, the Bills are just coming off their bye week. It's a lot easier to maintain, to, keep, to have an edge in the early stages of the season because that is when you are first forming what your season is going to be. So it's just, you know, you it's the start of a year. Everyone is, is up for a start of a year. It's what you do in the middle portion and the middle to the late portion that can truly define what your year is going to be and can put you in a position to potentially suffer some losses that you weren't expecting because that that edge isn't quite as sharp. So this is an opportunity for McDermott. And I'm sure, you know, he's not, I'm sure he's not happy with how it all unfolded in the second half. You know, the way that their offense kind of sputtered for most of their drives. Um, the way that the run defense couldn't limit what Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon were doing in the second half. That's, that's another thing they're going to have to rectify. But all in all, I think McDermott will be happy that they can learn this lesson with a win as opposed to a loss. And it's it's a weird thing because the day after games, uh, they usually do a Zoom press conference with Sean McDermott. Um, and the day after losses, McDermott always seems to be a little bit more chipper. And I don't know why, but probably because he's using it as a way to formulate his team and to learn from those mistakes. And because he knows with wins, sometimes you become a little bit more complacent. And, and that's, that's just kind of how seasons go for really competitive teams and really high-end teams, which is what the Bills are right now. So we'll be very curious to see how he responds, how they respond, and everything along those lines because of what's coming up. I mean, they've got a game with the 5-3 and three New York Jets who probably aren't as good as their record indicates. Be it as it may, they're still 5-3. and three. They've got a really good defense. And they're one of those teams that can catch you if you're not sharp. Now, Zach Wilson will probably prevent that from happening after a couple of those boneheaded interceptions that we saw on Sunday. But even still, the Bills will have an opportunity to show that they can bring back that mental sharpness for a, a full game stretch. And so that's the biggest thing that they need to come away with in this game, above all else. But on a more micro level, I found I wanted to get back into how this game can shape what the trade deadline may look like. Because I know you're not going to hear from me until after the trade deadline or until after the Bills make a move, if they do make a move. So how can what we saw on Sunday shift into what 
Brandon Bean and the Bills ultimately do at the deadline. That, to me, is... And I think there are a few elements to the game where maybe they might uh, make a little bit of a stronger push because of it. And we have to start with the running backs and the running game in particular because not only were they at least involved in light discussions about Christian McCaffrey before he ultimately got traded to the San Francisco 49ers, but Jay Glazer of Fox reported that the Bills put in a call about Alvin Kamara of the Saints, to, you know, just to see. And these actions are showing that the Bills are looking to add not just a running back, but a high-end offensive piece that can help put this offense over the top in a Super Bowl run of a year. Like McCaffrey and Kamara, two very distinct assets that have had a lot of success in the league. But I don't think it's confined to only those skill sets or only that position. But we'll, we'll get more into that. So how did the running game come through and did it potentially persuade the Bills to kind of stand pat at the running, the running back uh, position for the trade deadline? The way things started, it certainly looked that way. Like Devin Singletary and the run blocking looked great. You know, through the, through the first half, Singletary and James Cook, they rushed the ball a combined... Let's see. Uh, I had this in front of me. Bear with me. The um, they they combine for a a lot of yards early on in in the game, and their average I think was over eight or maybe a little under eight yards per carry through that through that first half. It looked like they were setting the tempo. It looked like what it did. Uh, at the end of 2021, it just seemed like the Bills were were on their way. Yes, it was 8.4 yards per carry in the first half. But as I mentioned before, from the start of the second half, up until that final drive, the Bills averaged negative one yard per carry. Not a lot of attempts, because the offense couldn't stay on the field. But it was just a negative asset to what they were trying to do on offense. And that inconsistency from one half to the next is probably a bit of a red flag to where, and you know, you don't want to make too much about one game, but they kind of had to, to rescue themselves by the end of it. And they did better on the final drive, but it's still they still had to rely on the pass game when they were trying to put the game away. And McDermott even said, he's like, he said that he, he liked some elements from their four minute offense at the end of the game to, to help put the game away. But even still, they didn't put the game away. Packers got the ball back. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So it all kind of leads to so us asking, what is the move at running back? It's, it seemed like, and especially after the Saints crushed the Raiders, it seems like they're probably content with, with keeping Kamara. And plus, that would have been a messy financial situation. He's got a lot of years left on his deal, uh, some guaranteed money, some roster bonuses, high base salaries. It would have been kind of a mess. But you deal with that. And then there's also his looming court case, too. So, you know, would he have to miss any time due to a suspension? That's, that's another piece to the puzzle. But I think for me, when you look at the running back spot, and I'm, I believe I mentioned this on earlier podcasts, maybe uh, in the, the week leading up to the game, is that I don't think that they're going to go after a running back just to bring in a new running back. I don't think it's going to, I don't think they should, or I don't think that they will go after a guy that just needs a change of scenery. I think they want a legitimate game-changing asset to give them something that they don't have rather than just another body to add to the mix to decide who you're going to make a healthy scratch. So guys like McCaffrey, like Kamara, but two other ones, Josh Jacobs, who I've talked about a lot, not the same guy as McCaffrey and Kamara, but 
gives them something that they just don't have on this roster. Because perfect point. In the second half, when the Bills are trying to put away the Packers and they can't generate any ground game, and they also have to depend on their their passing game to try and help their rushing game to close out the Packers from getting the ball again and were still unsuccessful, a guy like Josh Jacobs, who runs between the tackles like his hair's on fire, that is something that they don't have. And he can still contribute on the passing game. And we've seen that over the last couple of seasons. So he's won, and, and the Raiders just lost. They lost in really horrific fashion to the Saints. Got shut out completely. They're 2-5 and five now. That could be a spot where... And, and Jacobs is a free agent. He's on his rookie deal. It just seems like a perfect situation to strike if the Raiders are willing to play ball. I mean, if the Raiders look at Josh Jacobs as a piece of their long-term future, it's not going to happen. But... If they, if they don't, and let's not forget that the Raiders declined his fifth-year option, then it makes it more of a possibility. The other one is Saquon Barkley, but I, again, I raise my doubts on that because of the Giants' current spot in the standings and the fact that they have a, a shot at the playoffs, and they've built up so much goodwill with their fan base and if they were to trade away their offensive identity in a year where they potentially could make the playoffs, I think that would go over really poorly. And they have done basically everything right. They lost to the Seahawks, of course, but they have done basically everything right. So now it's it's just a matter of the Bills finding that that right guy. And if it's and if that running back isn't available they're going to feel content with Devin Singletary and, and James Cook. And not Zach Moss because, you know, Zach Moss is now a distant third. But we'll get into that more. So the running back spot, obviously keep your eyes peeled. Jacobs is the one to me where I'm like, that makes so much sense from so many different levels. But we'll see. But that's not the only offensive skill spot that I kept a close eye on in terms of the trade deadline slot receiver is one that we talked about a little bit too coming into the game. And I thought this would have been a, a good litmus test for what the bills could see out of the slot receiver position and maybe what they're lacking. And for the most part, it was mostly what they were lacking. The bills had a really good exploitable matchup against Razul Douglas, their nickel corner. And Stefan Diggs got Razul Douglas a couple of times. You know, when McKenzie and Khalil Shakir are in the game, they're not always lined up in slot receiver. They the Bills move around their receivers. So they're they're going to create different matchups. But when they were in the slot, not a lot of you know overall impact on what the Bills were doing offensively. On plays that McKenzie and Shakir were not on the field. 
There were 45 of them in total. McKenzie was out there for 31. Shakir was, I'm sorry, 44 of them total. McKenzie was out there for 31. Shakir was out there for 13. It was about a 70-30 snap in, or split in snaps from a percentage standpoint. And what they did on those 44 snaps were a total of three targets, one catch, eight yards. McKenzie did have the touchdown run, but that was on kind of a gadget play. And those are the types of plays that you can still utilize with Isaiah McKenzie if you were to get a more permanent third receiver. And that's why I think the inconsistency that we saw in a plus matchup for the Bills could be more grounds for them to look at the receiver spot if everything falls through at running back. I don't think that they should necessarily be hell-bent on one position versus the other. And I also don't think they should give up assets for both. I think they should try and find a... um, a player that can give them something they don't have, a consistency level that they don't have, explosiveness that they don't have, that can help them in game situations where they are currently lacking. So seeing what we saw from that McKenzie-Shakir split was not exactly encouraging moving forward. We brought up a guy like Jerry Judy, Uh, in in the week leading up. And he's someone that remains a really fascinating fit for the Bills if the Broncos would actually sell. But the Broncos just won. They're now 3-5 and on the season. They're going into their bye. Maybe feeling a little bit better. Feeling like, hey, maybe can climb right back into the playoffs. Probably won't be able to, but they're going to, they'll probably feel that way. And I would doubt that they want to trade away. I guess never say never, but I would doubt they want to trade away a player in Jerry Judy that was so important to that victory against the Jaguars in week eight. I mean, I think he had six catches for 65 yards and a touchdown when Cortland Sutton, I think he had four targets total and one catch. Just a day to forget for Sutton. But having those two guys could be a catalyst to them climbing out of the hole. So, you know, that potential took a hit with Denver winning. But I also wouldn't rule it out because Denver could be in a spot where low on draft picks. Maybe they think, okay, it's probably not the year that they're going to win a championship. So maximize it. And maximize return, especially after a good week. Maybe the old sell high on Jerry Judy if they don't believe in him long-term, if they don't think he's a piece of their long-term future. But that definitely took hit. But the slot receiver spot, I think it's some something that they can improve upon. And even if it's not with a trade deadline acquisition, you know, we've... A lot of people, a lot of fan bases out there think about Odell Beckham Jr. I think the Bills would firmly be in that discussion if they don't add someone at the trade deadline, but be it as it may. 
it left a lot to be desired against uh, against the Packers. And now we have to see if Bean and the coaching staff are content with what they have. We haven't really heard them in on reports for receivers. Like Judy is the is the one out there that's getting a lot of buzz. Chase Claypool is another one that's getting a lot of buzz. I'm sure there will be others that that pop up before the end of the trade deadline at on Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. So one of those two spots, one of those two skill spots, I think the Bills could really gain a lot, especially with what we saw and the inconsistency of what we saw against Green Bay. In and I mentioned that the the slot receivers had a winnable matchup. So did the running backs because the Packers' run defense has been pretty bad this year. But I think the one thing that changed more than anything in terms of the trade deadline all happened because of an injury. And it became a little bit more of a priority, at least in my brain, for what the Bills could look to do on this deadline. When Jordan Poyer went out with an elbow injury in the early stages of the fourth quarter, that was a major signal that the Bills should very earnestly think about acquiring a safety at the deadline. And not just any safety. I think they should go after someone who could be a legitimate starting option if called upon. Not to like give away a day two pick for a safety or anything like that, because I think DeMar Hamlin has done a good enough job to warrant being a starter the rest of the year. And obviously when Poyer is out there and available, you want him on the field. But we also can't ignore the fact that this is now Poyer's fourth injury since August. He had the elbow injury in uh, in early August near the start of training camp. And that sidelined him for a few weeks. Didn't miss any games because he had enough ramp up time to get ready for the Rams game in week one. But then in week two, suffers a foot injury against the Titans. And that foot injury ends up costing him the game against the Dolphins, in which the Bills were without a, they were without Micah Hyde, they were without Tre'Davious White. Obviously, they were without Jordan Poyer. They went in that game with Demar Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson, and it was Hamlin's first start. It was Jaquan Johnson's like one of his one of his first few starts. And they did they mostly did a good job up until the end of that game. And Poyer's absence definitely cost them a little bit on that game. Because that big bust to Jalen Waddle down the middle of the field was on Jaquan Johnson, at least from what I saw on film. And then he suffers a rib injury against Baltimore to the point where. He misses the following game against the Steelers, and then he can't fly to the Chiefs game 
has to, and this has been a, a very publicized story, has to jump in a car, drive all the way to Kansas City just to be able to participate in that game. And he did, to his credit. Had a nice game. And then in a week, he got a full week off for the bye, was not on the injury report leading up to this game, and then suffers another elbow injury. It's not to say that he's injury prone or anything like that. But it's a fair point to make that when you are getting older into your career, you are more prone to injuries. Just things pop up more often when you get a little bit older into a playing career. And I don't know if that's the primary reason that Poyer's going through this, but having four injuries since August is kind of a thing. And now, if he has to miss time, we don't know. We don't know specifics of the injury. It's very new. They don't even have specifics of the injury just yet. We don't know if he'll miss even the Jets game. But let's say he does. Then they are one injury away from either DeMar Hamlin or Jaquan Johnson to putting in a player that is a nickel cornerback by trade in Cam Lewis into a full-time starting safety role. It's just a recipe for disaster down the down the stretch of the season. And Cam Lewis is a fine player. He's probably coming along pretty smoothly, but it's a new position. And they can't put themselves in a position to depend on that, especially when you're going up against high-powered offenses. Having only three safeties on the 53-man roster is kind of flirting with disaster in itself. I would not be surprised if this injury to Jordan Poyer maybe forces their hand a little bit to the point where they need to strongly consider trading for a safety with some starting experience to back up Jaquan Johnson, or at least to have the versatility to play both positions and maybe be the primary backup to DeMar Hamlin, but also can play at strong safety if anything should happen to to Jaquan Johnson. The worst possible scenario here is to put Cam Lewis into the starting lineup because he just doesn't have the experience even at the position. He's got NFL experience, but it's different. So we'll see if the Poyer thing kind of forces their hand a little bit. Just a lot to chew on from a trade deadline perspective. Uh, there are other facets of the game that I thought were were pretty good. Like I really liked the the way that the Bills uh, handled Rashawn Gary. He was um, pretty much a non-factor in the game, and uh, they had a great plan for him. A lot of uh, chipping from a running back or Dawson Knox was a big piece of that puzzle. Uh, slid protection well when they when they sensed some stuff uh, coming their way on like an overload blitz or something like that. 
thought they they really did a nice job to neutralize Rashawn Gary, and I think he only had one tackle, if I'm not mistaken. So that's that's a that's a really good job by them by them. So, and that was the other piece to the potential trade deadline puzzle about okay, what could happen? Like, how did they perform without Spencer Brown? And they did pretty good. So, I guess we'll see. Maybe maybe they depend on you know adding a free agent if one becomes available. Yeah along the offensive line, if they need to. So a lot to chew on, and I'm sure Tuesday will be a very adventurous day um, to see whether or not the Bills actually make a move. All right, let's get into some awards, because uh, the Bills, um, well, first of all, it's almost four in the morning. I need to go to bed. (laughs) I have a radio hit in about mm, three hours. So I would like at least... An hour of sleep. So let's get into some awards. All right. First up is the, let's see, the Dree Archer Award for the player that did not show up to the game at all. And the runaway answer, without any doubt, is Zach Moss. Not his fault, obviously, but he, he was not a healthy scratch for this game. And even though he was not a healthy scratch, he basically was a healthy scratch just in uniform. He did not take an offensive snap. Did not take a core four special team snap. Gave them no value whatsoever on the field outside of just being an insurance policy if one of Devin Singletary or James Cook got injured. So Moss is clearly the third guy of that running back room. Now, James Cook had a really strong game, I thought. Uh, Every time he was directly involved with the play, whether it was as a run or on a catch, the Bills averaged a little under 13 yards. That's a little bit skewed by the big catch by an improvisational play by Josh Allen. But still, Cook had to make himself available to get those 41 yards. But Zach Moss, I think this is this is now his career. In Buffalo, at least. He is the third of three. He might be in and out of the inactive list as we go forward. Maybe he gets more chances due to injury or due to some... You know, mental errors by one of the top two, whether it be fumbling or whatnot. But he is clearly the third guy. And so that's why he is deserving of the Dree Archer Award. Next up is the Vontae Davis Award for the player that did not show up in the second half. I think rather than a player, I'm going to go with a concept and I'm going to go with a run defense because they were you know pretty content with allowing the Packers to run in the second half just because you know the Packers were down by three possessions and they were running the ball even Von Miller at, at the end of the game was talking about how shocked he was that they weren't dropping back to pass um, all that often and they ran they ran a ton of time off the clock in the late third quarter and it resulted in zero points because they couldn't convert on a fourth down. Just 
horrible, horrible stuff. Maybe they thought that was their best way of getting back into it by taking the ball out of Josh Allen's hands, but they're also bleeding their own clock that they need to get back in the game. It just didn't make sense. Anyway, the run defense was not great right from the get-go uh, with, uh, with the Bills defense. You know, Even on that first drive, Aaron Jones, his first two carries went for 32-11. and 11. Then... Uh, A.J. Dillon had a 27-yard carry on that uh, on that driver in particular. Then even when the Packers were trying to get themselves back into the game by running the ball, you know they were continuing to pick up first downs on the ground. It wasn't as big of chunk plays as it was in the early second half, but still, you know the Bills were not able to get themselves off the field up until the end of that drive when. They, uh, when they turn, uh, made the Packers turn the ball over on downs by stopping Aaron Jones on a fourth and one. The run defense is something that Sean McDermott, I think, is going to really hammer into this week because it has become a problem for them in previous years to where it's good at some point of the season and then slips away from them. And it, there, there's this stretch where they can't really stop anybody. They're gonna they're gonna try and figure out how that all happened um, in the early stages of the second half there. All right, next up is the Matt Barkley Award for the player or thing that caught you by surprise that caught me by surprise for a good reason. I think I have to go with James Cook here, right? I think so, just because how well, either James Cook or David Quesenberry, but David Quesenberry had a lot of help. So I'm going to go with James Cook because this was probably his most prominent statistical game when they weren't in garbage time. Because a lot of James Cook's productivity happened with the Bills trying to run clock and up a bunch of scores. But this time, the Bills were only up by... Seven points when James Cook got into the game for the first time. And he responded with a 17-yard run, a four-yard run, and a six-yard run. So three touches in the second quarter. It was pretty good. And played the, that entire drive. All eight plays of it. That led up to the Bills' touchdown to put them up 21-7 in the second quarter. But then in the later stages of the game, when he got back on the field, only had a couple of series, but his very first play on, on the field, on, on one drive in particular, it was his 41-yard catch, followed it up with a four-yard run. Then late in the game, when the Bills are trying to put it away, gets another three-yard run. He's settling in a little bit. I don't think this is going to... Transition to a 50-50 split. I still think Devin Singletary is their guy through and through. It was a 74.6% to 25.4% snap differential, snap percentage differential between Singletary and Cook. So I would anticipate that Singletary continues to be the guy, unless there's a trade. But Cook was definitely promising, had a really nice run between the tackles. That, that was his very first touch. 
So nice job by him. Next up is the Blaine Gabbert Award for Perseverance. I think, I think it's got to be Greg Rousseau. Because Rousseau, to me, uh, came into this game with a winnable matchup against, uh, against the Packers' right tackle. And came away with what should have been two sacks. One got negated by a penalty. But he was how he was able to use his body to, especially early on in the game, to both defend the run and to keep himself available to collapse on the pocket. And that's how he got his first sack, or his only sack, I should say. And the reason why he gets the Blaine Gabbard Award for Perseverance is because the pass rushing and the sack statistics haven't been there as recently. So I give him credit for showing the perseverance to come away with uh, with the sack this time. But on, on that play, Ed Oliver kind of uh, made Aaron Rodgers get off his spot after winning his one-on-one rep, but... Rousseau kept himself available the whole time because he kept the right tackle off of his pads with his long arms, kept a good, solid, strong, balanced base. And as soon as he saw Rodgers step in, he disengaged from the block and uh, collapsed on Rodgers for the sack. It was a great play. Great play by him. And I think that's going to be one of his primary areas where he can really become a, a nice player be- you know, holding that edge, containing it, and then collapsing when he senses an opportunity. Striking when he senses an opportunity. That's that's one part of his game that I don't think is going away. And then finally, the gotta watch the tape award. I guess I gotta watch the tape to see what the hell happened between Stefan Diggs and Jair Alexander in that game. The back and forth between those two after was was pretty it was it was pretty excellent um digs <laughs> i don't know who the f started it but i finished it uh because that they because they won then a lot of packers fans mentioned the uh, mentioned the idea that digs didn't have a catch on alexander alexander after hearing what stefan diggs said what was like, no, I finished it. I don't know what he meant. So, no, I finished it. <laughs> just, we don't get many post games like that. There was just a, a different feel in the air between the um, the Bills offense and the Packers defense, I think. <laughs> but, so I got to watch the tape to see what the hell happened between those two. And especially after Diggs' touchdown, I think it was. It looked like he had to be held back by his teammates. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very cur- curious to see what the hell happened <laughs> on all those plays because, yeah, Diggs was in a mood on Sunday night. And, you know, sometimes he has to be reined in a little bit, but I think the Bills love that that he has that, that fire and when used correctly. And I think he, for the most part he did. All right. So I think that's going to do it. Uh, the Bills are 6-1 and one on the season. They are atop the AFC. They have wins over the second, third, and fourth place teams in the AFC. So the head-to-head tiebreaker is theirs, even though 
No need for a tiebreaker right now because they're the only one-loss team in the AFC. And things are still looking good. And the next next uh, game that they have is up against a Jets team that just lost to the Patriots. And it's looking as though their quarterback is trying to find himself a little bit. So we'll see how the Bills respond to some second-half woes and some second-half lulls to see if they can come back and figure themselves out to where they get back to that full game or at least that finishing game dominance that we have seen from them so often in 2022. All right. So uh, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat. The uh, The next time we will speak will be after the trade deadline, I would assume, unless something absolutely ridiculous happens at that point. Maybe an emergent button. We'll see. But yeah, the, the trade deadline will be up in previewing what is to come between the Bills and Jets and figuring out exactly what the Jets are and how much of a matchup problem they could be for the Bills uh, when these two teams meet at MetLife Stadium. All right. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia. And we will talk to you later in the week. See you then.